Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. It's early. We're earlier here, um, you know, because I have a medical procedure that I must go through this afternoon, which I'm so looking forward to. Uh, but we uh, we are here. We are actually here July 13th, the opening of phase three. It's I didn't think it would ever get here. We'll see if it actually comes to fruition in terms of we are all keeping our fingers crossed that we get to August 1st, that we get to games, because I think it's going to be really exciting if we do do that. But we have a lot of things to uh, you know get past before that happens. But let's start with the pre-show. Go ahead, Russ. Well, just as you're not very excited for this afternoon, uh, Daniel Snyder was not very excited about finally changing the team name of the Washington Redskins, which now they've gone the route of the Seattle uh, Hockey Club, and we don't know what their name is. They're just Washington. And so that's – they have to know soon, though, because they have to make uniforms and they have to print – media and they have to do advertising and so they're going to have to figure out that name within the next week but it's good news that they finally have gotten rid of this name only because snyder literally the only good argument he had for keeping it was he wanted to make more money off of it that was it i i heard that they may for this season because uh, from what I heard, a lot of the advertising things like for direct TV and other things uh, have already gone out. So um, they, they're not going to, they're not going to uh, have the additional cost of resending out everything. So they may be the Washington football club just for this year and may wear that like the generic, they might remember there was like an R. Uh, yeah. yep. The 1970s, they used to wear it. Right, so they may they may wear they may wear that and just you know call them the Washington Football Club and then have a big release next year. Um, maybe that's not a bad idea, but I, I I really think that the NFL doesn't want to incur the additional cost of having to like rebrand everything and redo everything at the eleventh hour. No, it's probably true. Well, I mean, he's got he's got no memorabilia to sell right now. If you think about it, right. The merchandise Nike's already said they're going to pull everything from the stores, which they did. Right. FedEx right. was going to pull the naming. Right. So this was clearly, as we discussed previously, a dollars and cents things for Snyder and, and his, his co-owners or his minority owners were very adamant where a lot of them wanted to pull out because of the fact that he was to say that he was less than happy about doing this is putting it very mildly. Well, and the coach and Ron Rivera was all for pulling this name yeah. out. He's a first year coach for them. And didn't like it. The end of the day, I get the arguments for both sides because there's always going to be people that say, "I don't like that it's changed. I don't think it should be changed. Whatever, it's going to be changed." And and it's a historic day because in the end, this doesn't happen very often. Well, I'll tell you one thing: that what they're creating here is an incredible black market of yeah of because you know you more than likely you're going to have Redskins throwback jerseys made by you know, places in China and Vietnam for people who, you know, don't believe that it should be changed. And, you know, I, I think that if they come up with a good name and, you know, then it won't be that, uh, that, that, that 
big of a deal. But I had somebody in the chat saying the favorite is Red Tails. I I, I think that's that's Warriors has been a one has been favorite. I mean, it's Warriors. We talk, a lot, we talk a lot about this, right? So the Braves have officially pretty much come out and said they're not changing the name, but yeah. they will revisit the use of the tomahawk chop, which is something we discussed last I mean, week. What's there to revisit? Stop doing it. It's well, but, but the problem is, Russ, is that the fans the will fans do it. So the chain without the da 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 da, da they, yeah, but they do don't have it. to play the music, right? No, but they will continue to do it, and, and maybe. And the Chiefs also have said they're not going to change their name as well. So, I mean, look, part of this depends on your view as to the derivation of the name and what it's used for. And and I don't think the Redskins necessarily have done a particularly good job of dealing with the Native American groups that have been less than happy about having that name, right? There's other, I'm sure, organizations that have had much more um, intense and, and, and detailed conversations with them in terms of the use of that name. And But Redskins has clearly been viewed as a derogatory name for many years. It's not the first time. That it's come up where the name should be changed. I mean, look at the look at. I mean, we talk about you know just in D.C. right. You have the bullets, right? Did bullets mm -hmm. change their name because a Poland didn't think it was sending the right message? I'm not sure if Wizards is necessarily any better. But you want to know something? There is no but, black market but, for but, that. But, I don't but, see but, people walking around with bullet stuff on. Nope, very rare. I mean, you will see people maybe if guys have like throwback Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld and other type yeah. of jerseys, but other than that, not really. You know, on this one, are we going to see like? People are going to pull out Kirk Cousins jerseys just in defiance. I mean, are they going no. to wear Tim Smith? I no, mean, no, it's no, like no, if no. you wear Theisman, that, that's on you, man. Theismann. Theismann. Kilmer. John Riggins. You've got to find one for Kilmer, and I'm sure Mitchell Ness is going to stop making them. Probably. So, I'm sure there's a lot of Riggins ones that are out there, though. Yeah, there's probably a few Riggins. That's fair. But, again, Mitchell Ness is the other link in this, and they'll probably stop making them. Do you think because the, I do? Yeah, I, I, I just think the from from a from a perception perspective, you need to you don't want to necessarily feed into the fact that you're going against. And plus, don't forget if it's pulled by the NFL, I don't think they want to have the conversation with the NFL because the NFL, I'm sure, is right. going to crack down on on a group that has a has a definitive link. Now that you talked about the ones made in China, they really can't do much about that. But the ones that are here made here with Mitchell and Ness having a contract probably with the NFL. Those are the ones that can prevent them from making right. it. You need to pull that from the inventory. Yeah, the only thing that the NFL can 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 uh, prevent is people going on to their website and making Ron Mexico jerseys when it was Michael Vick. I mean, they yep. they could prevent that, but they couldn't prevent uh, other things. So, um, just we, we saw this morning um, the, uh, the 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 notification of the uh, passing of uh, uh, actress Kelly Preston, uh, who is. Uh, as as famous for being married to John Travolta as she is for her career, uh, it's weird because you know she wasn't you know she wasn't an Academy Award winning actress or anything like that, but she's a very very beautiful girl, and it's very it's you know disgusting. Fifty seven years old and she dies of breast cancer, but it's like for guys of our age, the fact that she was sort of that coming of age, I mean, this beautiful actress who was in, in a bunch of movies, I forgot secret admirer, but that's mm -hmm. like, that's the one that, but there was a movie that yep. HBO played over and over and over uh, called mischief. It was just a bad movie. With oh yeah. 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 John and Catherine Mary Stewart. And she was the, she was like the, the thing to watch because she was so beautiful, but it's, I mean, it's really sad. 57 years old and she's gone. And the same thing with the experts when it came out, that was another one, which is that there. Yeah. Right with Aryeh gross in it. And that was the one 
she's played a very similar role, but I mean, from a sports perspective, clearly she's most well known for love of the game, right? And she right. would be she and was, Jerry Maguire. And Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Yep, no question. Um, she was clearly, you know, the love interest in for love of the game for Kevin Costner. And the fact, you know, first of all, rest in peace, you know, the Travolta family, regardless of what you think about John Travolta, losing a son at 16 and now yeah, yeah. losing his wife at 57. And, and clearly the interesting part is, you know, th this was kept very quiet by the yeah. family. I mean, nobody nobody knew about this until, unfortunately, the announcement came out this morning. And for somebody at 57 to pass away is, is just way too young, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing before we start, because it's sort of in line with what, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about. Um it's interesting how different sports are treating uh, the positives. Uh, we found out uh, from a couple of the Yankee reporters that Araldis Chapman, the closer for the Yankees, tested positive for COVID. And they said, well, he had mild symptoms and, you know, he's okay, but he's going to be separate from the club for a couple weeks and things of that nature. And, you know, we're going to get into what the NHL talked about in terms of revealing injuries and revealing positives. But, Russ, it's the complete 180-degree opposite when it comes to baseball. But is it the team that's telling us, or is it the player that has just put it out there? Why so don't, so the way, it seems like it's the player. The way it works in baseball is that the team can reveal it if the player acquiesces to him revealing it. Well, so then, yeah, so the notice. player has to approve it. The player has to be part of, obviously part of HIPAA law, right, that the player yeah. has to agree to do that, right? But, but in, but in hockey, it's the, right, even if the player is agreeing to it, and again, I get, I look, it'd be interesting to see, if a player reveals his own diagnosis, what the league will end up doing. But the league I don't think they'll really do anything. Really adamant that they are not going to tell when players have positive diagnoses, even if the player is acquiescing to it. The right, they're not going to tell, but the player could tell. I'm assuming that uh, – I'm not assuming – I'm not sure. Can the NHL crack down on a player for revealing his own no. diagnosis? Probably no, not. No. And, Russ, uh, I know that you wrote your book, pioneers of baseball and, and part of it was uh having to do with a major league team back in the day in buffalo well we may have a major league team in buffalo this year based on the current border strife going on with uh with canada because it sounds like the the, the canadian government gave a waiver to the blue jays for them being able to hold their spring training games but yeah. when it comes to other teams coming in and when it comes to them after coming back from the U.S., there's still something up in the air regarding the quarantine situation. And like to the point that if a player gets caught out, there's like a $750,000 fine and possible jail time and some yeah. stuff like that. So there's been talk over this weekend of the Blue Jays, and I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, of them playing in Buffalo, playing at Salem Field, which was originally built as a as a potential major league stadium, but they never put the upper deck on there. Right. Um, Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News and a few other reports have indicated that there is a possibility, it is an option, and, and a strong option, that the Blue Jays could play in Buffalo the entire year. Hey, I think it would be great. I mean, it would obviously get some jobs back for some people that probably thought they lost jobs this year when the minor leagues were essentially canceled. So to me, this is great. I mean, I know that place doesn't fill up and can't have fans anyhow, but I think the town would be, you know, there'd be a little bit of a buzz in the town that all of a sudden baseball is being played there and you get some coverage on TV. I think it's good for everybody. And like I said, I think there's jobs that would come back from that. And, and you know what, in a way, I'm kind of hoping that happens. Well, it's plus there's a bunch of guys that come up through that system, right? If you look at that team, yeah. right? You have a ton of I mean Guerrero and and yeah. Bichette and Bichette. Biggio, all those guys recently played there, so they clearly yep. have a, a somewhat of a connection 
to Buffalo as well. Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, another uh, a pitcher basically said this isn't the Buffalo Blue Jays, it's the Toronto Blue Jays. So it's like, you know, he he was not exactly enthused. And apparently this guy, uh, Thornton, was the pitcher. You know, he had stayed at the at the Skydome Hotel, the Rogers Hotel there, mm -hmm. uh, all year last year. So he didn't think it was that much of a burden. But it has nothing to do with the burden. It has to do with the Canadian government allowing right. teams to come in and play. So, I mean, I, I know that there are issues about – By the way, what burden would the Skydome Hotel be? It's right I, there. You walk down the walk, field walk right the there. You go downstairs. You're at I, the field. I mean, it's not like you're taking a long walk. I know. Yeah. I mean, I was eating breakfast there, and we were watching them vacuuming the field. Like, it's all that close, like, yeah. when I stayed over one time. So, yeah, I don't know what burden that would be. Yeah, I, I, neither do I. But uh, but I, the, the, only, the only problems with the Buffalo Stadium supposedly would be lighting in terms of for major league quality, which I'm sure can be remedied with temporary lighting you know there aren't going to be fans in the stands so they could put lights in the, like, like where the where the stand or where the people would sit so that they could do that um but i'll tell you one thing I, and I, I joked about this with some with some friends on social media um there will be a sizable amount of people it'll be like the cubs like with the people standing on the roof at, at cubs mm -hmm. games there will be a sizable amount of people standing out in like left center field where there's like a highway and there's like a little lawn area that, that will stand there to watch and try to catch like home runs from guerrero jr or aaron judge or something like that when the yankees are what but what else can they do in the circuit? Yeah, you can't do anything about that. that. People, if people are dumb enough to congregate it like bars and things of that sort, then you're going to be dumb enough to do that, and they get, if they can track COVID. I was going to say, I mean, do you want to catch a COVID ball? I might have, like, gloves I will on. say this. This is one of the reasons why I think the whole hub city setup for the NHL is, uh, is much more optimal than what Major League Baseball is doing here because it does – I mean, I get why baseball is doing what it has to do in the circumstance, but I think – the possibility of a COVID outbreak in multiple cities, you're basically creating the you know a, a congregation. We all saw it earlier in yeah. the thing when like PSG had their yeah. Champions League game outside the stadium. It was a ridiculous amount of people in the Paris streets outside that stadium. Want mm -hmm. to be close to it? It's like it's like bugs go. You know, I hate to use the yeah. phrase. It's almost like bugs. You know, glomming to the light. Ooh, we have to be close to it. I mean, what's my choice? If I'm standing on the highway or watching it on television, I'm going to watch it on television. Well, but okay, but this you're also you're also not a young person who thinks they're invincible too. That's fair. But this is the, this is the issue, and I and I know that, and I, I mentioned this before. I know that the the um, the big screen in Maple Leaf Square will not show. They, I would assume they're not going to show the games because if they did right. show the games, people would congregate, especially right. for Leafs. Blue Jackets. You will probably still have pockets of people in Toronto watching the games at sports bars. Probably. Yeah, but when they get swept, it won't be that long. I mean, <laughs> Jeez. okay. <laughs> yes, the voice of reason, Russ Cohen. All right, let's let's start the show. Uh, oh, Jan is okay. I'll I'll do the thing for Jan. Um, uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, July thirteenth, twenty twenty. I'm Jan Levine. <laughs> I'm Anthony Mangione from Sunrise Philly. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology playing myself. And I'm Michael Lagello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. All right, let's start with uh, what we discussed on the weekend. I, I already introduced you, Jan. 
I imitated you, Jan. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and watch this. I'm almost afraid. <laughs> okay. I'll just you may not want to. Those yeah. good wishes on that medical procedure, Michael. I'm starting to rethink that a little bit. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So the um, Gary Bettman and Donald Fear, along with Matthew Schneider and Bill Daly, had a conference call on Saturday uh, regarding the finer points of the collective bargaining agreement, which was ratified uh, on uh, by the by the players. Uh, seven, I think it was seventy-eight. Seventy-nine percent. Seventy-nine percent. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then quickly uh, voted for by the board of governors. So we will have labor peace until 25, 20, 26, which I can't be understated. I mean, we've been through enough lockouts. We've been through a season that was missed. And I think, you know, just as an overall view, it's, I mean, both sides were in a situation where they had to compromise, but them having to compromise and actually doing it are two separate things. And I, I give a lot of credit to Gary Bettman and Donald Fear for getting it done, Ross. Well, I mean, just from a hockey. So I don't know if you, I don't know if you read Elliot Friedman's column on this. So Elliot Friedman, I mean, read a pretty good column on this in terms of knowing some of the machinations of the conversation. And the interesting part was, and from I watched most of the um, the thing yesterday. Just, just talking about how Fia was remarking of this is a different animal, right, than their usual negotiations. They had to consider a lot of other things and things that maybe they would have pushed for in the past, recognizing the status of what we're in now just as a country and then in general within the sport, the need for labor peace kind of superseded everything. And there's a lot of pushback they got in terms of, you know, how much money they should get. There was pushback in terms of the cap maybe like being $65 million one year. So... I give fear a lot of credit based upon his background of recognizing just what needed to be done and that both sides kind of coming together. And yes, there are groups in both sides are probably not going to be happy. I don't think there's things that we're happy about, but I think overall collectively we're in agreement that they ended up going in the right direction in terms of coming up with this agreement and for the length of time uh, for what the agreement's going to stand for. Actually, I don't know if you're going to find anybody that's going to say they're unhappy, even from the um, player side, but in the industry, though, this is good because, you know, this is an industry that writers are losing jobs and broadcast people are. And if we'd have gone into another year where it looked like there'd be a lockout, that would have gotten worse, too. So I think for some job security, this is actually good for a lot of people, too. So you could do a little planning because we all get into a state of flux. I mean, I, I remember one year I was doing um, cosmetics resets in supermarkets for the lockout to make up my uh, lost revenue. So, you know, that... That kind of stuff, you know, definitely happens. As far as with fear, look, I I honestly think he has gotten a bad rap for what happened in baseball. I don't think it's all Donald Fear. I think if we look at it in hindsight, and I, you know, I've talked about it, I've written about it, so I've studied him a bit. Outside of Donald Fear, baseball still has the same problems. Yeah. So now it's unfair for us to kind of push it all on Donald Fear and say, well, look, he's the guy who got all these lockouts. Uh, you have really. to, I think you have to look at it in many ways with Fair is that he's a lot like the, he, he can be a lot of cases like the commissioner of the players in that he yes. has to abide by the will of the players right. and the people that he represents. And baseball players operate from, I think, a, you know, a, a different mindset mm -hmm. than hockey players do. And Ferris pretty much indicated that in many ways in you know in various various times throughout his tenure about one of the reasons why he ended up taking over the uh, the range for the for the PA. So and you know it was it, it's been I think for the most part a pretty 
a pretty good partnership with the exception, obviously, of escrow and things of that sort. But again, you have to give to get certain things in this in this circumstance. So I think thing, overall, mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, so the thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, we talked about fear being the commissioner of the players, right? But, but at, you know, we talked, compare and contrast, you know, we talked about Manfred and what's going on with baseball, right? He's mm-hmm. under the behest of the owners, but he also can guide the owners and be the person who leads them in the right direction. And right? in this case, mm-hmm. fear clearly ended up saying, look, this is, this is the direction in which we need to go in. And he mm-hmm. actually was able to get the players. Now, granted, hockey players, as you said, have a much different mentality than baseball players, partly because of just the nature of the sport itself. Partly, you look at what's happened with baseball pre-Marvin Miller and post-Marvin Miller. There's been yes. a whole mind shift in terms of how they treat themselves and how they feel in terms of the game itself. But in this case, Fear kind of put aside all that and said, look, this is what's going on in the country. This is what's going on in the sport. This is where we need to get to. Let's find a common ground between the two sides as opposed to being divisive because he could have easily gone that way, but he, able, he was able to get his constituency to be in line with what his mindset was also in terms of working with, with Batman to try to come up with an agreement. I mean, I, I covered the original Fear press conference when he was going into the league. It was live. It may have been, I don't know if it was at an all-star game, a draft. Maybe it was at the draft, and, and he had a press conference. And he did say he was pretty much done with what – work he was doing but the nhl players wanted him so badly and gave him such a story of being sort of like these down-to-earth guys that he felt like he could really help them and and that's why it's been really good because he was probably fed up with baseball like he probably was just like you know what after all that other stuff the steroid scandal and everything else he was probably burnt out and done. Yeah, and you have, brought him you have to deal. You have to deal with again. Again, it comes back to the mindset. The uh, some of the outsized egos in baseball versus versus hockey. And I don't want to cast too much of a of a bit, but we, we know that that you know we know the pecking how people in the United States view the sport in terms yeah. of the pecking order traditionally, and that baseball players feel like I think in a lot of circumstances that they've got well, even more of a of a platform. But that doesn't take away from hockey players at all. It just it's we know the pecking order in terms of the priority. Jan, Jan referenced Marvin Miller. I mean, yeah, you, you have to you have to accept the fact that the the relationship between players and owners in baseball, you know, going back to the Black Sox and then like Kurt Flood and then then the the Messerschmitt uh, McNally decision and and the advent of free agency, it, it was inherently antagonistic. And that's whereas I think in the NHL when when fear came in, I think the problem was is that the 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 you know, the Bob Goodnow era uh, PA was incompetent, and if they would have had a competent leadership, you probably wouldn't have had a season that was completely missed. Um, and and that's what fear brought in. Now you know we missed half a season when he when he he came in, but I think the road that the NHL went down with that that CBA and now with this one, I think is beneficial to both. And if you look at where ba- where hockey is compared to baseball, football, and basketball, they're in a much better position now with labor peace and with both sides having something to lose than the NBA, where the players are complaining about uh, you know c- accommodations in Orlando. Well, yeah, I mean, Fear wasn't even a hockey guy, and and they brought him into the culture. Same way, Batman, he wasn't a hockey guy either, but they they brought him into the culture. But we also have to look at like with baseball, Tony Clark is the guy in charge of the players. And to be fair, he's not doing a very good job. Fear is also, you know, tutoring Matthew Schneider, who I felt like on the call really represented himself very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he hasn't, 
I mean, he was always a, a level-headed guy as a player. I had interviewed him a bunch of times, uh, some of them longer interviews, and and always found him to be like a good thinker, down-to-earth guy. That could be the guy taking over. So, again, this is important that Fear is tutoring that guy who I'm sure he's taught him quite a few things about what to look for, what to look for in the future, and, and everything else. And then you have that guy in place. That's a good road to go down. So even past the CBA, it's a good road to go down. We well, talk about succession planning, right? And this is you, you mentioned Tony Clark. Well, we talked a little bit about this about Michael Weiner passing away, where Michael Weiner was a major component of the Major League Baseball negotiations. And if he had been alive, my opinion is a lot of this rhetoric and a lot of the argument and a lot of the stuff would not have happened because he was a much more of a conciliatory type of person, was able to yeah. bridge the gap between the players and the owners, right? And we talked, you know, succession planning. They ended up going with Tony Clark, who was a bit more antagonistic a guy who played in the league who has a different view, and that's, that hasn't helped. Granted, Manfred hasn't helped, but in this case, right, fear being able to tutor Schneider, who in this case, because he was a player and understands what the players want, but also has the down-to-earth mentality of what hockey players seem to have, which seem to lend itself well to him taking over potentially down the road from fear when fear decides to step down from the role he's in. Now, a couple of the particulars that I thought were interesting that we discussed on Off the Post on the, on the weekend that I think we should talk about today. One, uh, Carol Schramm, who writes for Hockey Buzz, brought up the, the 10% salary rollback um, and you know how it's going to be paid in installments, basically, over the length of the deal. But the, the question she asked to, to Bettman and Fear was whether that represented a 10% discount for the salaries against the cap, and they said no. So really... What we talked about flying buyout in terms of a Larry Bird exemption, in terms of something that would relieve cap situations, none of that is in place. And with the flat cap and that being being the the, the uh, where where the game is, you're go- this is going to be really a tough scramble for a number of teams, including Tampa Bay and Toronto, to get to 81.5 or to be able to add players and stay under the cap. So I had proposed two things. So one thing you said about is I thought the 10% should have come off it and right and impacted the cap itself. The other piece is because of the slight increase. One thing I thought is with the add backs, you could have counted a cumulative against the cap moving forward because you're paying back the salaries anyway, as a way to potentially increase the cap. But as you said, they've gone neither direction right now. So guys getting on your first of all we're likely going to as distasteful as it might be the expectations we're going to see some buyouts on some teams because they're going to have no choice in order to be able to get under the 81.5 million dollar cap or or and or you're going to have to deal players to try to create some additional room to sign some of your own free agents the other pieces we've talked about a couple times is are you going to see a decline in terms of the aavs for some of the players in terms of the free agency because they're not going to be able to afford to give those big monster contracts for some of these guys. If somebody maybe was going to be an $8 million guy, does he now become a $7 million player because you just don't have the cap room anymore to fit him in under $8 million because you got to sign other players with no rise in the cap? No, you know what? I think I think they're going to take shorter term. I think yeah. when I heard Fear say that the revenues, if they go up and they hit like a $4.8 million, then there might be a change in the cap because they made over five last year, 5.09. So – there is a hope that, hey, it's not going to happen this calendar year, but maybe the year after, if things are back to normal and they come up with other ways of generating revenue, that that may, be, may get better. So you might see some players taking that same AAV they normally would get and just take fewer years 
in hopes that it bounces back and then they get back in the market. I think what may happen here is that, in building in on what Russ was about to say, it, what Russ just said, uh, I think the, the shorter term is the far more likely scenario because, again, it gives you the opportunity. AAV-wise, the star players are not going to want to see a drop. You know, if a player comes up in terms of their contract, that's not going to happen. Where you may see, where you may see a little bit of an AAV drop is going to be the bottom six sets of players in that circumstance. I think that one you might see either they maintain, don't see it really much of a raise. Again, I hate to say it again, it's it, it's more of the rank and file employees that are going to be getting the short end on in these circumstances more than anything. But the star players, I don't think. Now, whether or not collectively, Jan, we see like an overall average of AAV go down a little bit, that's possible. But I, 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 think, it, I think the term situation, I think, is a bit more, is a bit more well, likely in this case. We do have breaking news if you go want ahead. to hear it. Go ahead. Bill Meltzer did post. And I had a feeling this would happen, but I didn't want to post it because I didn't want to jump the gun. You know, the Flyers put out their roster. Nolan Patrick is not on the roster. And that's yeah, I mentioned. I, I tweeted that a little bit earlier. I actually tweeted yeah. that earlier uh, just before I jumped on the show. A, uh, prospect Yegor Zamula is on the roster. Yeah. Is on the face roster, the young uh, defenseman from Calgary, obviously physically recovered from his back sur- from his back surgery. So he's in he is in camp, but Nolan Patrick is not on roster. And that's pretty and that's obviously n- not surprising, uh, but it is certainly noteworthy in this case. It's noteworthy. But, but just okay, just going back to what we were talking about, um, the thing that I Chris Johnston talked about this on uh, the Dangle podcast yesterday, that essentially what is going to happen is, you know, they're anticipating that, you know, the rest of this year and next year, with the uncertainty of whether fans are going to be in the stands for part of the year or whatever, that they're not going to hit. $4.8 billion, that they're going to be well below that. And essentially, they're, they're front, the, the owners are fronting the money to the players, you know, where they're keeping the cap at 81.5. They're going at the going at the with the 20% escrow as the cap. Uh, and then as revenues climb back, the first thing that will be done is to pay back the owners for fronting that money. So what that means is the cap's not going up. The cap may go up a million dollars in year three, but more than likely, it's not going up much more than that for maybe probably the balance of the CBA. And if that's the case, then, you know, I think teams are going to be very hesitant about about term and about AEV. And about AEV. We can echo here. Okay. Go, uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure who's echoing here. Let me, let me, let me mute people here just to see. Check if it's Okay, it's not Anthony. No, okay. Okay. no, it is Anthony. It is. It is. I'll log back on. That's. And you're in your yeah. There you go. Um. So, I mean, I think this is the new normal, Russ. I think that this is you know teams are going to have to, um, you know they're. I mean the reality is it's going to be eighty-one-five for a while. And Kyle Dubas had a press conference yesterday, and people asked him about you know adjusting adjusting to the new normal and about, you know, whether the, the, the best chance for the Leafs to win is this year before all this hits. And he, and he basically said, well, we've got our core locked up. So uh, we, we have enough money to sign our restricted free agents and we'll see about our UFAs. He, he pretty much downplayed it, but I, I think he's sharp enough to realize that he's probably going to have to move at least a guy like an Andreas Janssen or a Casper Kapanen or a Neilander to be able to open up space to sign players down the line because simply they have no room. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be quite a few teams that really only sign middling players. We, you and I were talking offline. It's not like the Flyers. Even if they move Gossespierre, they can't make any big offseason transactions. And and there's going to be other teams like that. But I do think like a guy like Alex Petrangelo. See, I pronounced that right, Mike. So John Shannon doesn't get on me. Um, he he'll get his contract. But if you're someone like Mike Hoffman, he may only have to take a two year deal and then hope the market comes back. And I do think that's going to be a strategy. And I do think it's going to be a reality unless you're really, you know, like Taylor Hall, somebody like that, you are going to fall in that other range where you're not going to, you know, get signed right away. There, there's going to be a very big delay on it's going to be like baseball where a couple of years ago when all of a sudden guys were sitting out there for a very long time. I think we're going to see not the superstars. The superstars will get signed fairly quick, but I do think the other guys, stars and lesser players, they're going to be sitting out there for a long time. Jan? I just think, so if you think about it, right? So Hoffman, right? We talked about the Jeff Skinner contract, right? So Hoffman was probably looking potentially to get somewhere in the seven to $8 million range. To me, the likelihood of that happening is remote, right? You look at right. what Skinner got, right? In, in today's market, yeah. even if he was coming off that kind of a season, you're looking at a significant haircut off of what he may have wanted. And that's what I was pointing out before in terms of if a guy was going to be, let's say, an $8 million or a $7 million guy, I would lop a million dollars off that salary because of the fact that you now need to figure in other guys and the expected rise where they thought we'd be at the $85 million mark now. Now you're $3.5 million below that at a minimum for now. And you need to leave yourself some room. So that's kind of where where I think is going to happen in terms of guys with salaries. I think the super duper stars, you know, that the elite of the elite, as you said, are still going to get paid. But those guys who are tier below that are the one. And besides the middle class, the ones, in my opinion, are going to get impacted more than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, there's fewer teams that you could dump guys to now. I mean, a lot of teams are in bad cap shape. There's there are very few that are in good cap shape, and so they're. There's going to be teams that just can't do anything in the offseason. And I was just saying, like, the Flyers can't do a lot. They could sign a lot of 700,000 guys, but even if they move Gossespierre, if they're lucky enough to be able to do that, they're mm-hmm. still going to have to pay other players. They're not making any big transactions this summer. There's going to be a so, lot of teams. But I don't think they are necessarily – if you look at kind of how they're constituted, I don't think there's really kind of a need – there's a burning need, I think, right now for a big splash acquisition right now. I mean, it does very much depend on – who they, you know, you know what, what happens obviously here in the Stanley Cup playoff. Right. But if they're looking to make right. that sort of, you know, a, a shakeup move, the team's on a pretty decent ascent right now. Top four in the East. Um, you kind of probably want to utilize, more utilize your debt, you know, the forward depth and system. You look defensively, you're going to look probably, you, you, you're two guys, you, you're going to be probably losing, uh, well, you may lose um, Justin Braun. Braun's a veteran defenseman, but again, what he gets in the open market will be interesting to see. He had a nice, I think he had a solid rebound season from his last one in Santa in, in San Jose. I think they would probably like to have him back. They still have Niskin in under contract for another year. He and Provorov were a good partnership together. So I don't know if there's necessarily a burning need right now for Philadelphia to have well, to back up goalie. Backup goalie. If Brian Elliott has a lot of suitors because teams are looking to just get an inexpensive goalie, the Flyers could be in trouble in that spot. They could. They very well. And again, they're going to lose. And they have Alex Lyon is coming off. Alex Lyon is coming off contract. But again, um, that's a situation that they would have to take a look at. I think they would probably have to be fairly aggressive early on with Elliott to see if he is again amenable to coming back. He did. I think they know Hart is still young. 
And you still, when it comes to goaltenders, need to have an, a, a, a decent distribution of start. Well, yeah. I, I think you're, he's got a decent chance of that because you want your goal, your main guy to be fresh going I, forward. I, I think you're going to see a lot of 700 and 750 league mm-hmm. minimum contracts with veterans taking one year deals to, you know, because that's, that's going to be the reality. But what I, what I also see here is like contracts. It's like we, we talked to Rasmus Dahlin in Buffalo, Russ. I think there's no way, even though Buffalo's got a ton of cap space with their financial situation, I don't know whether they're ready to pony up the eight-year deal on him, whether they just go with the two-year bridge, like they would possibly go the two-year bridge with Sam Reinhart. Uh, you know, well, I think well, it's different with Dahlin, though, only because I think they have to pay him because I, I agree. The, the thing is, even though they may be in financial whatever, if they don't pay him, he is only going to cost them more down the line, and there's no guarantee they're going to be making more money down the line. Plus, if they ever get to the point where they want to sell the Sabres and his contract's not locked up, that does keep some buyers away because he's a premium defenseman, and all of a sudden he could walk away and take another deal because you signed him to a bridge deal. Well, this is what this is what the problem is with with the league right now. If you look at the list, and I'm just going off the top of my head in terms of like five teams that have tons of cap space, um, say Detroit, Ottawa, Montreal, Buffalo, and New Jersey. Of those four, five teams, I think the only one that's prepared to actually spend the money and 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 uh, add players with the cap space available is Montreal because they're a, a well a well to do franchise. Ottawa has their financial problems. Detroit's in a rebuild. New Jersey is inherently cheap and 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 the Pagulas in Buffalo are are in financial trouble as well. At least that's the, the, what they're reflecting with what they've done over the last few months. So those teams have cap space but not necessarily do they want to add salary. So, okay, we, we talked about that, or we heard about the Brock Besser thing uh, from Rick Dollawall over the weekend. Okay, that's a great player. He's making less than $6 million. He could score you 30, 35 goals, but there has to be somebody out there that is willing to give up something of value for him and be able to afford him on the cap, and some of these teams can't do it or won't do it. Or it has to be a, or it has to be a team that has a level of surplus defensively, I think that's something that uh, that Vancouver could definitely use at least a little bit more defensive depth there. That could be if you, if you could get contracts to relatively come close on matching there, then that may be a way to to, to that might be a path to make mm-hmm. that kind of a trade. But I don't I, again, if you're getting rid of Besser partly because of potential future salary issues, right? You got to be well, careful. Like Hughes and Pedersen, you're going to have to sign, right? You're going to have to create room that's for. That's what and that's, that's but, all but about. If, but if you think that it right, Besser was one of those core guys that we thought of, along with Bo Horvat, that mm-hmm. looked to be one. And granted, obviously, you have Mark Jamal, so you now you need to resign. So you know, same thing with the Rangers, right? You have Ryan Strom, who thought people were going to bring him back. They're going to have to make a key decision because also, what do they do with Anthony D'Angelo in terms of? whether or not they, they ended up signing him long-term or end up moving him based upon what his salary expectations are going to be. So we're going to have to now see that debate of player versus salary and where do you kind of draw the line versus, you know, how far can you go before you start to bleed into other areas of your team where you have to make other moves even if you want to bring a guy back. But this well, also I, is the case where – this is also a case that where, where you look at Brian Benning and it's almost a, a reverse – as I mentioned over the weekend, this is almost a reverse – not quite, almost like a West Coast version of the, of the Maple Leafs and how the, the, the how how 
cap distributions handled, but in many ways, in some ways, it's worse. As Patrick Johnson from the province brought up to me over the weekend, uh, the problem with the, Canu the Canucks is that they've been, a lot of cap dollars was invested on the back part of the lower part of their roster. So they're, they're, they're potentially looking at shedding guys that aren't even, that are good players because of the amount of money that was spent by betting on players that just aren't contributing but are high cap hits. And and the thing is, in looking in looking at the Canucks, they they've already they already have one buyout on their books. Ryan Spooner from that uh, that Sam Gagne deal. They got two guys who I think would be good candidates for buyouts. One is Brandon Sutter, who's been hurt off and on. The other one is the is the disgusting contract of Louis Erickson, and and Erickson's deal was front loaded. But even if you buy him out, the cap hit is two thirds of the remaining amount of amount amount of money, which is four million bucks. So that's what about 2.75, something like that, spread out over four years. So that's a million-dollar cap hit instead of a $6 million cap hit for the next two years. So they could save a lot of money there, or Brandon Sutter, it would be spread over two years. All, all those things. But if they're considering trading Besser on top of that, then you have to figure it's Markstrom, it's Quinn Hughes when his deal is up after, I think, next year, and it's Pedersen. They have – major players that they have to re-sign and they just don't have the room. They don't have the room today. They'll they'll, they'll do be able to make things. the room maybe. Yeah, they'll be able to make the room. They'll they'll do some things. I mean it's just right now if they lose Besser because of that, they're not going to be the only team in town. But that's where like I said, a team like Montreal should be paying attention and trying to cut some deals because they can swallow up salary and they could use more scoring and that's that's a great situation for them to be in so you might be able to see a draft day trade maneuver towards like you know a besser to, to montreal because they have all those picks too right. that's that's kind of something that we could see we didn't see any um day one deals last year but now that the cap is flat we might see some day one deals this year i think we're going to see a lot of day one deals from teams yes. that are looking to have to move salary especially guys who are rfas that they're concerned that they're not going to be able to resign, but other teams may have some of the cap flexibility to do it. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, look, we talked about, I talked about Strom, right? D'Angelo's the guy who's been mentioned partly because of the Rangers depth, but partly because his play last year, he's going to get a massive spike in terms of what his contract was. He's probably going to be looking in the five to $6 million range, which may be tough for the Rangers to be able to afford given other guys that they need to sign, unless they find a way that either Lundqvist retires or they move him or they buy him out, which is a feasibility. See, I don't think they'll buy Lundqvist out. I think if they had to, Brandon. they would buy out Stahl, who's the next biggest contract, and and work that. But I do think there's a chance Lundqvist would retire. I do. Others others are not so sure, but I do think there's a chance. So if that doesn't happen, then I think you're looking at Stahl. Brendan Smith, it's unfortunate. They should have bought him out last year because now this year he gets a bonus and his cap hit's not that big. Which they paid already, though, right? The, the no, but his cap is not that big as a result. That's the problem. Oh, right. His salary is now two point three million, which is why Ottawa has been mentioned so much, right? Because there's yeah. a substantive difference between his his actual salary versus his cap hit, right? It's no, no, but you move him even, right? But even if you move him, you still haven't created enough room for the other guys. Probably not. No, which is again, which is why we've talked we talked so much about amnesty buyouts and compliance buyouts and using dead cap space, none of which is part of the current deal. And the flat cap puts a lot of these teams in a bind in terms of figuring out what direction they're going to go in and who they can move. But I, I think I think you're going to see more regular buyouts because they simply have to do it. They, yeah, I do think that too. And I do think some guys, like as an example, 
I don't think Ryan Strong's going to have really much on the market. If he's smart, he resigns with the Rangers because his agent should realize the Panarin effect is what got him there. And if he goes on the market, that's what other teams are going to be saying. D'Angelo will get like three years. I don't think they're going to give him more than that, but they'll give him a high AAV. Well, that's the point, right? So we talk, right. So you think about so Strom is an RFA with arbitration rights, right? Same as D'Angelo, which D'Angelo did not have last year. Lemieux has right. arbitration rights this year as well. Strom, they could try to opt for a one or two year deal, but because of his salary and the expected rise, you're probably looking at an AAV in the four million at a minimum range. Which I have to take another look in terms of what this what the breakout point is. But as if it's below a certain threshold, even if he is awarded it, they can't walk away, right? So that's the other piece of the right. puzzle where they may get quote unquote stuck with him. So they may try to move him after signing him to that AAV if it's too large based upon who else to have to sign. Yeah, if you could sign him to an amenable AAV, then it makes him more tradable too, because now it's a known it's a known salary. That that is a help too. And I do think some teams will try and do that with guys because yes, then that does make them more tradable. Um, a couple of things from the uh, the conference call on Saturday that I thought were curious. One was when it was brought up, and it, this was brought even more to the forefront uh, on the weekend when in the MLS, a game between Toronto and I think it was Washington? D.C. United, yes. D.C. United um, was canceled because there were positives on both teams and the teams didn't feel comfortable playing. And I guess I guess they're going to play that game uh, either – today. I think they're going to play it today. Um, but Batman was asked whether, you know, what would be done if a team had rampant positives um, and they would not allow a team to continue in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And he simply answered it with a non-answer of, well, we'll take advice from experts. Right. Um, so they, I'm sure that they have a thought process here in terms of are they going to shut down the whole thing because one team is infected? Well, they might because the one team infected would be in a hub city hotel and there's probably no way of, of determining unless you're you know continuing to test. Well, if they'll continue to test. So I think what they would do first is maybe cancel that team's next game, see where they're at. They're going to test all them first, then they're going to test everybody else in that hub city. Remember, it's only half of the league. It's not the full league because they're they're in the other hub city. So I don't think that cancels the league. But yeah, we could get to a point where a team has to drop out. Like that's not impossible, right? And then the other, and then the team that they were playing against would basically get a get they a just move on. Yeah, get a bye to the next round. Now the other thing we talked about this on Saturday was the injury disclosure factor. Where now uh, Arpan Basuf uh, reported on the weekend that uh, a number, multiple Montreal Canadiens players had, test, had tested positive for COVID. Um, we know that we you know, we obviously heard the Austin Matthews report from a few weeks ago. Uh, everything apparently is going to be funneled through the league in terms of they won't even say positive cases for COVID or at least they won't describe which teams the positive cases were. And it's gone to the point, as Anthony, to start with you, it's gone to the point where if a guy has a concussion, that's going to be announced through the league. So everything is going to be funneled through the league. Yeah, and as I stated, it, this is going to be handled in many ways just like it, it's like a large-scale version of the Stanley Cup Finals where most injury reports are going to be coming in through the league, which, again, makes sense when you're playing at two centralized hubs. The league wants to have as much – you know, 
control over what is said and what is done in terms of announcing these things. One of the reasons why I kind of joked over the weekend, it's a general, the, the phrase will be general body infirmity or something like that. Uh, when you get, get reports and we saw, I think Darren Dreger actually quote what those reports would likely come out as and it wasn't that far away from it. So yeah, we're in a re it's, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a really interesting to kind of finding out what injury reports are going to be, especially if you're, you know, laying wagers and things of that sort, which is, again is going to be a factor on this as well on this as much as I'm not a, a betting person, but I think that is going to be something that's going to be of concern to books, sports books and things of that sort. I mean, I just figured from a health and safety perspective, right, you are having reporters that are going to be with some of the teams. Yes. And even though technically you're, you're in a bubble, you're not necessarily fully locked down in a bubble. So, you know, reporting that players have come down with it is just as important to people outside mm -hmm of the team itself, right? You have other ancillary people that there are people who work for the team, people in the social media, other people there. You would expect that you would wanna make sure that people are aware of what's going on and not just quote unquote, use the nomenclature that we've come to expect from the NHL or the inability to report some of this. No, but they are behind the scenes, they are churning. And Gary Bettman did talk about how players will have to give a list of people they came in contact that that happened to, and they're going to have to call them and do all the contact tracing. So that is going to occur. It's just that we'll never know what it is. Right. We'll just, we'll just guess based upon a player not being there for a certain period of time. And then we'll, well have he doesn't the care. That, oh, wait, he's got COVID. He was broached that and he does not care if you guess or not. Like it's just, that's, that's it just, just seems the, ridiculous. Uh, it's, you know, it's just, Whatever, just on the face of it, looked, like, you know what, guys, I think this, this is not something that nobody else is going through, right? This is a pandemic. Admitting I the fact that somebody is sick because of it doesn't seem like you're stretching the imagination here. I think they feel like they're probably, you know, if a reporter's willing to stick their neck out on this, a la Steve Simmons with Austin Matthews, um, that that's the reporter's decision. And then the reporter has to deal with the blowback. The league is, does not want to have to deal with that. And it's it, whether it's HIPAA, whether whatever you want to quote from in the circumstance in terms of how what medical information gets out, that's how the league's going. That's how the league is going to handle it. And we, you know, it's it is a concern, but I'm not surprised. It's not so. Gonna, it's, so you're it's not surprising they're taking that tack. You're you're going to have you're going to have situations where players are going to disappear off rosters for with no with little or no explanation. Right, but I think that's the reality. Again, yeah. I think that's going to happen anyhow. Like with with Max Domi not being in camp right now, right. he's technically an opt out. But remember, Mike and I talked about this on offline with the Capocaco. If all of a sudden the Rangers doctors think he's too much at risk, they may ask him to just go home yeah. and say, "Hey, you know what? This isn't a good situation for you." And we could see some players drop off as a result just because they opted out doesn't mean they won't just go home because their health is too much at risk. That's probably going to happen too. Yeah. Which now, is why I thought it was interesting that Luke Kunin, who's got type 1 diabetes, is in camp right away, while Domi, they're opting to for caution to 7 to 10 days, which is what I think I thought should have been maybe what they did with Kako with the same type of thing to let's see how it plays out before he's there, but he seems like he's on the list immediately and he's been skating in camp. Well, well Jack, I, think the difference, I think the difference is because – we already know that Montreal had three to six players yep. with positives. There's no reason for Domi to go in. I think that makes it a, more True. of a hotbed than these other teams we're talking about. Yeah, and I was being humorous when I said this is an unofficial tank. But it's like, but you know, when, when you 
first of all, Montreal has little chance of beating Pittsburgh. Now you've got three to six players who probably, have to, if they've tested positive, they're not going to be available. So essentially it's going to be Laval playing against the Pittsburgh Penguins. You, you know, if you're Max Domi, do you really want to risk your, risk your life uh, because on a, on a series like that, when, you know, you're, you're coming up for a new contract. There are a number of things, number of factors. The health concerns obviously are at the forefront. If I'm him, I'm like, okay, this team has no chance to win anyway. So why should I? Why the hell should I play? Plus, so, also interesting, you know, how do they get it? When do they get it? Where do they get it? Are they asymptomatic? If they're not, if they are asymptomatic, then they'll be back quicker. If they are, then the likelihood is they may miss, depending on the time frame to heal and to get into playing shape, they may miss a good part of that first round. So all those are factors in terms of the potential end result that we think Pittsburgh's going to win anyway. But as you mentioned, this clearly could even tilt the, tilt the scales even more towards Pittsburgh winning in that round. Right. But, you know, the other thing is, and, and that could happen, but Carey Price could shut him down too. I mean, that's not impossible. It's just not likely. The other thing is about saying a guy has, has COVID is, remember, this, this a lot of times shows up as a blood disorder. They're finding out more and more that mm -hmm. it affects your blood cells. It may be hard for them to, to actually pinpoint it in a player and say it's X or it's Y. And so that's another reason maybe not to say it because it may not actually be accurate. Yeah, and this, this was an interesting quote Emily Kaplan had from Bill Guerin that I thought was, you know, I'm not saying that some of these players aren't taking things seriously, but when Guerin comes out and he said his message to the team was stay home as much as you can, try to stay out of the bars, just be smart, not just for us but for the league. We want this to get off the ground. If you're out at bars at this point, I mean, come. Be, like, listen, Garen was a player. He knows this is exactly. very smart for him to call yeah. that out yeah. and say it specifically. That was smart. And, and considering the positives that the St. Louis Blues had, where a right. lot of that had been traced to a an unofficial gathering at a bar. Right. It's right there. I mean, at least you, you've seen it. The evidence is there. If you go do this, the risk that's involved. Right. This is why I like Bill Guerin, because he doesn't like wait for things to happen. He tries to get ahead of it, and he knows, hey, if I was a player and I was 20 years old, there's a chance that I still might do that. So now I'm going to put the hammer down now, so at least that may keep these guys in line. Now, um, a couple quick things before we end the show. Uh, one, uh, there have been six opt-outs so far. Uh, we have the deadline at 5 p.m. on Monday, not including Domi because that's still up in the air. I think it's seven to ten days before he's going to make a decision. Right. But uh, n nobody of major consequence except for maybe Travis Hamanick for Calgary. Most of these are third-line, fourth-line players or or seventh defensemen like Roman Polak or Stephen Camper. So nobody of any – like, you know, there, there have been some major players in the NBA, some major players in baseball, and so far there have not been any major players in hockey. But we'll see by 5 p.m. But, I, I you know, I, I don't think we're going to – I don't think we're going to see it. I don't think we're going to see a major player drop out of this. I mean, so far we haven't. It doesn't mean we won't last minute. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not holding out hope on that just yet. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. Uh, and the other thing is uh, the uh, interesting notes about the Russian players that we've talked about ad nauseum: uh, Alexander Romanov, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, and Ilya Sorokin. Um, Romanov is they've gone so far as to give him Carl Alsner's number. So and he's he is sign he is signing a three year deal. They're burning the first year. He's not eligible to play, uh, but he's going to accompany the team to Toronto. Uh, Kaprizov is going to accompany Minnesota 
uh, to Edmonton, even though he's not eligible to play. So I guess this is sort of like, you know, ingratiating him and yeah. getting him used to the NHL lifestyle, even though this is a complete departure from what the NHL lifestyle is going to be. Yeah. And I got word late last night that things are going well with Sorokin and the agent seems very positive. So we could see something with that soon. And so, yeah, I guess adding that extra phase three and four was a good kicker to get these guys to, to come here and at least be a part of the team, even though they can't play. And burning that year one of ELC right now also is nice and palatable to them because yeah. it gets them to that next contract a year quicker. Yeah. All right. Um, we will probably have some interesting notes from uh, some of the openings of training camp uh, tomorrow. Uh, we'll probably got a big question. Hold on. You can't sign off yet. The big question is, will you be wearing something gray in the hospital for good luck? For Jan Levine, for Anthony Mentor, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.